Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 282. Well, this is the last week of the official I Seem Fun podcast as we know it. I mean, the rebrand is really, it's just what you've been experiencing the past couple of weeks. But how does this sound? Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 282. That's what it's going to be called. Anyway, this week, oh man, this is a doozy of an episode. I interview my mom. We talk sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I got an email here from a listener who's in her adult year. She's moving back in with her parents. What should she do? I'll tell you a story of when I did that in my early 20s and how I really tried to take charge of my life at that point. Um, You know what I mean? I tried to move home with some semblance that no, I was just like an adult renting a room somewhere. Um, and that's this week's episode. Um, it's it's going to be pretty wild. So, huh. Let's just get into it. I see the fun. I see the fun. The Diary of Jack Kirkman. This email comes to me. I don't know if I can say her name. Oh, she said yes. Melissa. (coughs) Is that professional? I'm writing this email because it's been something that has been weighing down on me, and I haven't really talked to anyone about it. Well, listen, you can always talk to me, the stranger that's in your ears, right? If you can't write to a podcast, who can you write to? The reason why I haven't really told anyone about this is because I'll probably sound like an ungrateful turd. I guess I didn't really need to send it anywhere, but I figured other people might be in a relatively similar part of their life, and it might make them feel better knowing that someone is in the same boat as them. Right, which is, again, the point of this podcast. It originally was, 
me letting people know the real me, things that I don't really find fun, like woo, partying and Coachella and talking about the little small moments that I love about life. But it's sort of morphing into, hey, everyone, let me put this all in one place. If your life is X, X, Y, and Z, you are okay. So I, I don't know. This podcast is about everything. I mean, it's really kind of a diary of my life, but mainly I think it's to talk about stuff that I don't have a platform to talk about anywhere else. So whether you're depressed, whether you're this, whether you're that, we can all find a home here at I Seem Fun, soon to be having funlessness. So anyway, back to the email. I'll cut to the chase. I'm going to be moving back in with my parents after four years of being on my own. It's not for a bad reason. It's just so I can save up enough money to pay off some small debt and save some money. Don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for my parents letting me move back in with them and not charging me rent. Very grateful. However, I got to thinking about what it was like before I moved out, and I remembered the reason why I moved out, because they were driving me nuts. So now I have one more week alone in my duplex, and I'm starting to get very anxious and overwhelmed. I thought that planning and preparing for the move would help take some of my stress away, because I tend to procrastinate, which is why I usually stress about things, but it didn't really seem to help. My parents are great, they're loving, and I wouldn't trade them for the world, but I can't help feel a sense of impending doom as the week goes on. Do you have any tips on moving back in with your parents as an adult? Ah! Well, as you know, there are so many more questions that I need answered before I give good advice, so let me run the gamut here. First of all, I don't know how old you are. You've been on your own for four years, but that means nothing to me. You could have left home at 30. You know, I don't know. Um... But let's assume you're in your early 20s, somewhere in there, and that you left home, I don't know, maybe did you live there during college? Let's just, let's just give advice as though you're in your early 20s. This, this is the only part that will matter how old you are. Four years ago is a big deal. If you were even a teenager or what, hormones are different, things are different, maybe it'll just be better simply because four years have gone by. It's sort of like, I'm in New York City right now. I'm here for some weird audition. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm in New York now, I just love it. And I'm bopping around on the subway. Sure, I step in some urine. Who cares? When I lived here in my 20s, I mean, it's a hard city to be in. You've got the weather, small spaces, urine everywhere. I was taking everything personally. I was taking a snowstorm personally. I was overwhelmed. Why is this so hard? You know, blah, blah, blah. I just need to move to LA. I want to be somewhere where the environment is easy because life is so hard. Well, now that life is not any less hard, but like maybe I've got some perspective under my belt or whatever. Now when I'm here, I'm like, ah, there's some urine. Ah, there's the trash. Ah, the subway's crowded. Like it just doesn't bother me. So maybe you'll feel that when you get home, you know, to your parents' home. So maybe there's little adjustments that you can make that you may not notice right away how they help, but why not do every single thing you can to make yourself, um, you know, get through this time? Let's stop calling it moving back in with our parents. Let's stop acting like we're taking a step back. And let's just call it, I'm staying with my parents for a while. I'm refocusing at my parents. I'm 
You know what I mean? None of this, I'm back. You're not back. You're a totally different person than you were four years ago, and you're, you're just uh, saving some money. Um, I'm sure that part's not even a big deal to you. It doesn't seem like it is in, in terms of like, oh, my God, what am I doing with my life? So how do they drive you quite crazy? That, that's, that's what I want to know. I mean, in other words, a lot of times people will say, oh, their parents drive them crazy, you know, and you think that they're driving you crazy because they put milk in the freezer, but really it's a deeper issue. You know, I mean, do your parents trigger some things in you that are like on a deep, deep level? Like for me, if I moved back in with my parents and I heard them bickering, I would slowly go down a rabbit hole of why can't, you know, what, what is with, why can't you guys, why are you guys acting like children when you're elderly? Why are you yelling at each other? This is stupid. I imagine how much chaos I heard growing up with all the yelling and how did that affect certain areas of my life and blah, blah. And I don't want to be here again. You know, it's like deeper things, whatever. But if it's just like, you know, I don't know, they, they use a certain kind of, you know, they don't use, uh, they use bar soap in the bathroom instead of pump soap. I can get over it. You know what I mean? And it's not connected to any deeper thing. I'll give you an example. A dumb thing my parents do that drives me crazy is I don't know what is happening as you get older. Why are there more plates why do you have so many plates as you get older? Is it because you more people are dying around you? Now you've inherited your mom's plates and then Uncle Joe's plates. And there's so many damn plates in their house. And the shelves are buckling. So it looks like where a shelf should be flat, it's like, you know, it's like a U-shape. And I open the, the cabinets and I think, why won't you just have less plates? Because this shelf is going to buckle and the plates are going to crash in the middle of the night and you're going to think it's a burglar and you're going to either have a stress heart attack or you're going to run downstairs and trip and fall when it wasn't even a burglar in the first place. Or you're just going to have to clean up a bunch of glass. I mean, why do this to yourself? My parents don't care. And yet, They'll be in the next room watching HGTV going, I wish someone would come in here and, you know, just redo the place. And I'm like, I'm here visiting and I'm the person who is telling you to redo the place. I will move the plates. So it's like, no, we don't want you doing it, our daughter. We want Chip and Joanna to come in and they can do whatever. You know, if Chip and Joanna came in and said, you got to get rid of these plates, they go, okay, what a great idea. I swear to God, there's some things it's just because it's family. They don't want to hear it from you. You don't want to hear it from them. But the bigger issue, now do I really care about plates? No. But the bigger issue is, hey guys, as you get older, you're going to have to make less traps for yourself. You almost have to elderly proof the house the way that you would baby proof a house. Don't have death traps everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't even like them living in, in a house that has stairs anymore. So it's like little things can sometimes represent bigger issues. Now, 
There's the issue of how do they drive you crazy? Are they up in your business to where it's really not something you can just meditate and ignore? You know, are they commenting on your life every second? Why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? Why don't you this? Why don't you that? That is one of those unfortunate things that if you live in their house, you're signing up to hear whatever shit they say to you. It's almost like that's the contract. Like they get to say that shit to you, even though they shouldn't, but they get to because you're in their house for free. So that might be, if it's that kind of driving you crazy, that might be something you have to make peace with. How do you make peace with it? You can actually just set a boundary and maybe talk to them differently than you've ever talked to them and sit them down and say, hey, mom and dad, it really hurts me when you say you should be doing this, you should be doing that. I'm so grateful you're letting me live here. But I, can we set a boundary that you don't say that to me? And if they break the boundary, then it's just very mathematical of a transaction. You remind them, hey, remember we talked, you promised. And they can keep breaking it, but you can. it's like you have a touchstone to go back to. Hey, we had this conversation. Instead of they say whatever they want to you, you react, it goes on and on. I, if that's applicable, I don't know if that's how they're driving you crazy. Um, is it just that they're your parents? And so when they drive you crazy, there's less of a sense of humor around it than if this was you living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, just a friend, a roommate. Can you loosen up around it 40%? Can you hold it more lightly? Is there anything funny about it? Can you have a sense of humor? And I don't mean telling jokes, but I mean the actual, like, can you have a sense of levity about how they drive you crazy? And can you not focus on it? So if, you're, if the way they drive you crazy is you observe the way they live. Oh my God, they're eating like too much butter. They're, they're gaining weight. They're unhealthy. It drives me crazy. Why don't they realize they can do this? That's where you have to like detach. <clears throat> now we're getting into codependency. They drive me crazy. If only they did that, then I would be fine. It's like you can actually be fine even with them doing shit that drives you crazy. You have to stop focusing on it, attaching to it, and reacting to it, right? So I don't know how else they drive you crazy. You know, um, are you bringing any unresolved feelings to moving back in with them? Are you afraid that somehow they're disappointed in you? Are you disappointed in yourself? Are you focusing on how they drive you crazy so that you can avoid your own feelings of like, does this bring up anything for you that you're in quotes moving back home? And that's the last time we're going to call it that, you know, look at those feelings. Maybe your parents will drive you crazy less if you focus on yourself. And lastly, I will say, you know, just try to live your own life as much as you possibly can. And this is when I moved back in with my parents, again, that's the last time we're calling it that, I moved in with them after my, I talked about a couple episodes ago, after I moved to New York for three days, I came back to Massachusetts. I moved in with my family for about a year and a half to save money. I don't remember if I paid them rent or not. If I did, it was like 50 bucks a month or maybe I bought my own groceries or something like that. And this is totally not really applicable anymore, but this was before cell phones. So I had, I didn't even have a pager yet. This was 97. And I insisted that I have my own phone line in my bedroom. Oh, <gasps> wow. That was a big deal because I wasn't allowed to have my own phone line growing up. I mean, I didn't even have a phone in my bedroom that was our home phone number. 
a lot of teenagers had a phone in their room with their own private line, a different phone number than was the household phone number. So I immediately did that. And I'm telling you, that little thing, and again, maybe this is a 90s technology thing, but that little thing made me feel so empowered. It was one thing that was different about me going back home. We also pulled up the rugs and just had the wood floor. That, that little change made it feel my own. And, you know, I tried to bring as much of myself to my room as possible. But, you know, ultimately, I, it, I hadn't even been on my own that long. So I'd been on my own in college, but does really roommates in a dorm kind of count? But, you know, and I drew, I mean, I really did. It, I enjoyed the in-between. I tried to enjoy it as much as I could. I thought, I basically live on my own, but I don't have to pay any money for anything and I can save. And I just, I tried to enjoy the in-between of it all. I can do laundry here. I get to use my parents' Oldsmobile, bombing around in the Oldsmobile Cutlass, driving to my gigs at the Green Street Grill, this back bar in Boston. And, you know, ooh, I have my own keys now. Ooh, I'm driving at 11 at night to this gig. I'm getting home at 1 in the morning and I'm not in trouble. I try to enjoy the tiniest things that I didn't get to do as a teenager. And, you know, again, going to stay with your parents for a while to save money is not easy. So if my little suggestions of what makes things more exciting is depressing. Well, I'm sorry. That's all I got for you. And uh, I think now my parents use that phone line for the computer. I swear my parents have dial-up. I th- they tell me they have Wi-Fi. I don't know what the password is whenever I'm there. They're like, we'll call our technician. I'm like, what is a technician? Like, who is this person? I don't know. I just don't even ask anymore. And we usually stay at my sister's house when I visit. So I don't know what's happening, but I, eventually that, that landline came in handy in case anyone's wondering, what happened to that landline? So that's all I can say to you. I mean, I hope this helps. I'm reading a book right now that I am so obsessed with, and it's for all, everyone out there who feels that they just don't know what to do with their life, but something's calling them. And you feel, you know, whether you have a, this woman had a disability. Okay. The book is called A Woman of No Importance, The Untold Story of the American Spy Who Helped Win World War II, written by Sonia Purnell. So I'm here in the new, the new in New York in the city. I went to the Strand. I looked around. I love it in there. And they didn't have it. They had a used copy. I looked it up online. And I went to tell the guy at the counter, I know you have a used copy somewhere. And it wasn't filed where it should have been filed. And he said, maybe it's on a cart somewhere in transit between, you know, whatever. And he said, we can put in a request and we can hold, you know. I was like, I don't live here. I'm only here a couple of days. I'm trying to get the book in my hands because I want to go to a restaurant and read. And... I didn't even, now I could download it on my Kindle, but I wanted to hold a book. I've been, I've been dying to hold a book and I've been thinking what the next book I can really sink my teeth into, um, will be the one that I get 
that's an actual book that I hold. So I went down the street to Barnes and Noble. I know corporate 1% of the 1%, but I tried, I tried to go to the indie bookstore. They didn't have it. Barnes and Noble did. It's apparently a new release. Shame on you, the strand. So anywho, this woman, this American woman grew up in Baltimore, gorgeous gal. Oh, all her mother wants for her is to be married, have kids. She breaks off an engagement. She's not really that into men. She's just like, I don't want this. I don't want this life. You know, I mean, she's not into women, but she's just like not into men. She's wearing her pants. She's like, I'm a free spirit. Her dad totally gets her. She goes to Paris. She falls in love with it there. She speaks French now. She's got a great life. She loves her guns. She does like quail hunting. I don't know if that's like that Dick Cheney hunting where it's like the bird barely is, it's like flying in front of your face. An easy shot. Anyway, she accidentally, she was careless. She tripped. She shot her own leg. Blood everywhere. They, they try to save the leg, but it's becoming infected. <clears throat> She's getting gangrene. She's almost dying from, from the infections. They have to amputate below the knee. She gets prosthetic leg. She has to keep getting it, uh, you know, redone. She'd go back to America and have it redone. And it's like, this is some old school prosthetic leg. This is like, here's your leg made of lead and you can wear a leather strap with it. And you're sweating and bleeding. She was literally never not in constant pain the rest of her life. And she did a whole situation with stockings so that she could keep the leg on and also disguise that she had this prosthetic leg. So, oh my God, her mother's up. What is going on? She broke off her engagement. Now she's in her 30s, prosthetic leg, child-free, not married. What is your life? And she's worked as a secretary in different consulates all over Europe. She wanted to be an ambassador. They wouldn't let her. She even had some guy going to bat for her um, with FDR, who he himself uh, was physically disabled. And he was like, we can't have a physically disabled woman be in this position in the government. And I mean, I can't. So basically, the part of the book that I'm on is she's an American who's living in Paris, who loves Paris. The Nazis have rolled on in. The French have like made what they think is a peace treaty with the Nazis. The Nazis are basically just taking over. And she can't believe the rise in fascism she's seeing. And the fake news, the real fake news, not Donald Trump says is fake news. And she's seeing fascism all over Italy, this, that. And she wants to do something. She wants to be in the resistance. And she goes to London, and they have this brand new kind of spy. I mean, it's, it's like their version of the CIA, but it's even more lawless, where she can kill people. And she's about to join. And it's, there's this technicality that you can be an American as long as you are dedicated to saving France. And they'll take anyone they could get. And that's like the fact that she was a woman was actually fine in this situation because they're like, 
they needed people to be almost more like kamikaze kind of style spies. Like you probably won't last three days with what we're going to ask you to do, but we need people willing to try. And she made the perfect spy because of the organic way she'd been living her life up to that point, just loving France, learning the language, knowing what was going on during the first, you know, moments of the Nazis' occupation. So I'm just going to read you the inside cover because I think everyone, this book, I'm like, I want to be a spy. A comedian who's a spy, it's so obvious because her job is a journalist. That's her cover job. Like I travel the country. People tell me their secrets. I know my ins and outs. I can sneak, I can slip and slide in and out of places. I'd be such a good spy for what I don't know, but like, I don't know. God, it's so appealing to me, but it made me feel so much better. It made me feel, it re-upped my resolve of like, oh, right. Like I'm single in my forties, childless. And like, I'm cool as fuck. You know what I mean? Like I'm cool. I'm like a badass. This is making me re-embrace all that I am instead of going, I feel different than other people. Fuck that. This woman is unreal. So listen to this. Okay. In 1942, the Gestapo sent out an urgent command across France. She is the most dangerous of all Allied spies. We must find and destroy her. The target in their sights was Virginia Hall, a Baltimore socialite who talked her way into Special Operations Executive, the spy organization dubbed Winston Churchill's Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. She became the first Allied woman deployed behind enemy lines, and despite her prosthetic leg, helped to light the flame of the French resistance, revolutionizing secret warfare as we know it. Virginia established vast spy networks throughout France, called weapons and explosives down from the skies, and became a linchpin for the resistance. Even as her face covered wanted posters and a bounty was placed on her head, Virginia refused order after order to evacuate. She finally escaped through a death-defying hike over the Pyrenees into Spain, her cover blown. But she plunged back in, adamant that she had more lives to save, and led a victorious guerrilla campaign, liberating lots swaths of France from the Nazis after D-Day. Based on new and extensive research, Sonia Purnell has for the first time uncovered the full secret life of Virginia Hall, an astounding and aspiring story of heroism, spycraft, resistance, and personal triumph over shocking adversity. Oh my God, I just love this book. I want to read, I want to read like one of my favorite paragraphs. Um, Okay. Until the moment she retired in the 1960s from her post-war career in the CIA, she was a woman ahead of her time who has much to say to us now. Um, I love this comparing her to James Bond. So, um, Virginia's enemies were more deadly, her contact more daring than many a Hollywood blockbuster fantasy. And yet the swashbuckling tale is true. In Virginia, a real-life hero who kept going even when all seemed lost. Um, she's every bit as ruthless and wily as the fictional James Bond, 
But where Bond was known by name to every international baddie, she slipped through her enemies unseen. Where Bond drove a flashy Aston Martin, she traveled by train or tram or despite her disability on foot. Virginia had to battle for every inch of recognition and authority. Her struggle made her the figure she became, one who survived, even thrived, in a clandestine life that broke many apparently far more suited to the job. No wonder today's chief of the British intelligence agency, MI6, has revealed that he searches for recruits who do not shout loud and show off, but who have had to fight to get on in life. Virginia was a human being with flaws, fears, and insecurities of the rest of us, perhaps even more, but they helped her understand her enemies. Only once did her instincts let her down with catastrophic consequences. For the most part, though, she conquered her demons and won the trust, admiration, and ultimately the gratitude of thousands in the process. Controversy still rages about women fighting alongside men on the front line, but nearly eight decades ago, Virginia was already commanding men deep in enemy territory. She experienced six years of the European war in a way that very few other Americans did. She gambled again and again with her own life, not out of a fervent nationalism for her own country, but out of love and respect for the freedoms of another. She blew up bridges and tunnels, tricked, traded, and like 007, had a license to kill. What she pursued was a very modern form of warfare based on propaganda, deceit, and the formation of an enemy within, techniques now increasingly familiar to us all. But her goals were noble. She wanted to protect rather than destroy, to restore liberty rather than remove it. She neither pursued fame or glory, nor was she really granted it. This book is an attempt to reveal how one woman really did help turn the tide of history. Um, how women can step out of the construct of conventional femininity to defy all the stereotypes if only they are given the chance. And how the desperate urgencies of war can perversely open up opportunities that normal life tragically keeps closed. Oh, guys, this book is so good. I highly recommend it. Let's have a little book club, shall we? It'll take me a long time to get through it, so no spoilers, please. Anyway, oh man, I'm so inspired, I can't even take it. Now, I highly recommend, by the way, if you're moving back in with your parents, if you are going to be a spy, you know, you need someone to talk to. And that's why I am excited that we still have our great sponsor, Talkspace. Go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. Use code Jen. You are going to get your first week of therapy free. That's right. We all need someone to talk to, a person who can support us through rough patches or even just the everyday ups and downs of life. That's where Talkspace, the online therapy company, comes in. It's therapy for how we live today. It's mobile. It's available when you need it, and it's affordable. Life can be stressful. Again, maybe you're a spy, maybe you're moving in with your family, maybe you're having a hard time at work because people aren't recognizing you for who you are, maybe you don't know who you are. Well, it's not always easy to find time for yourself and that's why online therapy is huge. It makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. All you do is you provide your preferences for your therapist and they're gonna match you with one of 4,000 plus therapists the very same day. 
If you don't like your therapist, no worries. They'll get you another one. This is easy. This is how it's supposed to be. And once you find that perfect therapist, you can send them unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere at any time. Join more than 1 million people who feel happier with Talkspace. This does not have to be stressful, you guys. It just takes your unique preferences into account, finds you someone whose style and expertise matches what you need, and if you need to switch therapists again anytime, no extra costs. This is so convenient and easy to use. You don't have to wait for your next appointment to talk about what's on your mind. With Talkspace, unlike traditional therapy, you can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your device anywhere any time of day. And you can always schedule a live video session if you want that extra support. One month of therapy on Talkspace costs about the same as one single face-to-face -face session. So best of all, you're saving money. And with offer code Jen, you are going to get your first week free. Go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. Make sure to use code Jen. That's gonna give you your first week free and it's going to show your support for I Seem Fun. All right, guys. So I talked to my mom because remember, I, a few episodes ago, I talked about how my parents were really strict. Then my mom sent me an email saying she felt bad they'd been so strict. And I went to visit my family over the weekend. And I figured, hey, let's, let's have a conversation with my mom. We just chat. We just, we just let it flow. We talk about... John Lennon and Queen and sex and drugs and rock and roll and changing. And we've got some advice for people out there who are younger. And I think it's a really lovely conversation. So enjoy me talking with my mom. Oh, look at Gail outside in her manure cart. I'm just talking about that. Um, all right. Well, let's begin here. You know this what? is. I what? need a Kleenex. My nose is so. so okay. Well, here, we're, we're on the air. I can tell cats are in here. You know we're recording. Oh, well, I can tell cats have been in here because my eyes are watering and my nose is running. Okay. This is a segment of my podcast where I'm going to do a little special family follow-up. I'm here with my mom. Hi. Hi. And I had talked last couple weeks ago in this episode where I was talking about how all I wanted to do when I was growing up is moved to New York City. My only like bad things I ever wanted to do was smoke cigarettes and wear black. That was like as bad as I wanted to get. And I remember I told my parents specifically, you can trust me, that's all I want to do. But they were very strict with me and I was joking about how I would be at my friends' houses on the weekend and they would pick me up at 10.30, even when I was 16, 17 years old, and I would go home and I would watch Saturday Night Live on the phone with my friends whose house I just left clearly illustrating nothing bad would have happened, but I wasn't really allowed to come home by myself and have my own keys. So part of the picking me up was because my parents were going to bed as well. So anyway, I think this is funny. And I think the funny part is all the weirdos I hung out with are now like married with kids and they all live like kind of still in the same uh, state. And I, you know, ran off and I don't think that has anything to do with how we were raised. It's just funny that they really weren't bad kids. And so then I got an email from my mom that sounded so sad and regretful, and I never meant it to be. Um, I thought it was funny, um, but she wrote me this beautiful apology email, which I read on, I think, a, uh, an episode two weeks ago. So I thought I would give you a chance to say <laughs> what you really think about in terms of 
being so strict in the past, you really seem like you have regrets. And I don't think you should, but... Yeah, I really um, felt so sad when I thought that I kept you from doing what most other normal kids were doing, which (laughs) at the time I didn't think those kids were normal. I don't know what I thought, but there was so much going on in the world with teenagers then that I assumed that everybody did everything that I was hearing about. Like what? Drugs, sex? Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything bad. Um, And having had two previous teenagers who were in a different, you know, time period when... um, It's like 70s, 80s. Yeah, I think they probably were into more things than I knew about. Right. And I even joined um, a drug um, discussion group for parents. What what were you discussing? Things you know nothing about? how to prevent our little darlings from getting into these things because you can't i know and in my mind i still saw you in the sixth grade i think with a little white dress and a blue (laughs) sash yeah and i think in my stupid mind that's how i wanted you to look for the rest of your life oh right well um you know you it's like there's drugs and there's drugs yeah and I think your other kids were like of your more of a pothead variety. They they were probably doing what all the other kids were doing. I think it's pot, mushrooms. And I was probably so people aren't yeah, doing coke. I was heroin. in my I was you know had them when I was in my twenties, so I wasn't aware of what was really going on in the world. I kind of thought of their life as being like my life as a teenager, which we did nothing. <laughs> you were a teenager in what nineteen fifties? Yeah. So we didn't really, I mean, there were some really what we considered bad kids who were having sex and drinking. I know, you keep saying sex is bad, like that's like your old-fashioned, old Catholic. Well, because in those days, nobody did that, except they were the... But you don't know that. No, I don't. You don't think there was... I know. I can illustrate a story, which might take us a little far afield, but... That's fine. um, When Dad and I were in high school... And we were seniors, and we had been going together for like a year. He, and you were withholding sex right, until marriage. Right. And he was going to the University of Mass Amherst And you in don't the fall. think he cheated? No. Oh. He was going to UMass Amherst mm-hmm. in the fall, and so he had to have a physical and get shots and everything, you know, whatever. Yeah. So um, we went to his family doctor, who... In the meantime, had become an obstetrician, gynecologist obstetrician, but he still took his old patients, like, yeah. you know, the children. Yeah. And so we're in the doctor's office, and who comes in but this woman, I won't say her name, um, and she came into the office and sat down, and we looked at each other, and I didn't think anything of it because I thought, well, this is his doctor. Oh, she thinks you're pregnant. So the next day around school... Guess who's going around telling everybody <laughs> that Joan, as they used to call me, Joan must be pregnant. She was at the doctor's. But the funny thing is, I didn't go into the doctor's office. Dad did. Right. And I sat in the waiting room. Well, short, long story short, guess what? What? It turned out Jackie was pregnant. You just said I'm not going to say her name. Oh, whoops. Well, Jackie, she's I not made, listening. I made the name oh. up. But listen to me. You, you could have done well with a rumor like that makes you sound kind of exciting it does (laughs) i think so i think more people were having sex back then than you thought 
Like it didn't mean you were a slut. There were some, yeah. I'm sure, committed couples having sex could that be. ended up married. Could be, could be, yeah. I but mean, there were. I was thinking more of the sluts that I knew. And but so, what about I mean, boys? My Are they girl, sluts? They have to be, unless the women are just having yeah, sex I don't with know. themselves. I, I guess we never thought about the boys. It was yeah. always about the women. Yeah. Hello, patriarchy. Yeah, yeah. it was all about, about the women. Isn't that so too I guess, bad? So I guess in my mind, I kept thinking, oh, I don't want that to happen to my little girl. But by the time my age came around, yeah. nobody was really, unless you were, people who were, I really wasn't having sex in high school, but people who were, it was like, oh, I'm I'm in a nice couple, and I've been with them right. forever. Like, my friend Terry and her boyfriend had sex in high school, and guess what? They've never been with anyone else. Right. They got married. Right. They weren't bad people. No. But there was always one or two people that right. were, like, sleeping with everybody. Met boys and girls. It right, was like right. the boy slut, the girl slut. All right, so... Well, we, what did her parents think about that? Did they know? Yeah, but her parents were different ages than they you. Were they were... They were girl. You're... Right. They knew, and her mother put her on birth control, and she yeah. was appropriate age, and they'd been together for years. And right. I mean, right. honestly, they they haven't now been. Now, see, if I knew that, right, I wouldn't have even let you go to her house. I would have been, uh oh, wow. But what is how is Terry having sex with a, a boyfriend for three years? Yeah, gonna do anything to me? It, well, it might have put the idea in your the head. The idea is in your head. Right, but what, it might so have, the minute you get hormones, right, the idea. But it might have comes said to you, "Oh, well, this is okay." I did think it was because okay. her parents. But the, you don't understand. Condone it, I right? did think it was okay right. because I thought it was okay, despite what anyone was doing. Right. Because I came of myself. Yeah. In my own self, and I said, I don't understand really. Right. What is so wrong with any of this? Right. And. It might have been a religious thing. It, it might have was, been a Catholic thing. That's right. But you know when right. I knew the Catholic Church was really poisoning people with that? Right. Was when I became confirmed. And this priest, I don't remember his name, he gave the weirdest confirmation speech. In the that. Jewish religion, when you bar mitzvah, it's like, now you're part of society and, right. and we love God and we help others. And yeah. This guy goes, well, you're all teenagers now. I was in Boston last week, and there was a parade, and they were throwing condoms out. And I go, what the F is this speech about? And I said, oh. he was talking about the gay pride parade or right. something. Yeah. And I go, this is effed. These people are mental. It's all they think about. Yeah. And Jesus was never married. Right. You think he just didn't do anything for 33 years? The, he's, you know, virgin Mary. What if she was... If she had a baby the, the real way, she wouldn't be as good of a person. I mean, it's all nonsense. Yeah. Stupidity. So right. anyway, but no, sex, you can't stop. People will find a way. They'll skip right. class and they'll go in the bathroom. You know, I didn't do that, but I'm saying, Yeah. I wonder how you would have been nowadays as a parent with cell phones. Like, I probably wouldn't have been allowed to have a cell phone or you'd be tracking me or I don't even know. I'm kind of glad yeah, we I, didn't have to face that. I know. I guess I don't even know that much about what kids do nowadays, but well, I know kids it would have be phones. quite different. I know it would be quite different. Well, anyway, my friends were really sweet and I know we were. never did drugs. There was this whole movement. I mean, it was really stupid, but in the in the punk rock world, there was this movement called Straight Edge which mm. you would put these X's on your hands, which meant I don't drink or do drugs. And it was like I remember that. supposed to be cool. 
Now, I didn't listen to any of the music affiliated with that scene, but I thought, oh, I'm going to be like the contrarian. I'm going to do that. So that's what me and my friends kind of were. Like, Mm -hmm. we were so innocent. I think one time Shauna and I slept over Terry's. And Terry said, oh, my, and we all slept in the basement for some reason. And she said, oh, my parents have wine coolers down here, which is really funny now that I think about it, because why would adults drink that kind of swill? I don't get it. But <laughs> I think we opened one and passed it around and we thought it was disgusting. And we were like, well, why would we get drunk with each other? Like, what's yeah. that going to enhance? Yeah. So we just did like we weren't interested. <clears throat> all I wanted to do was smoke. Right. So <laughs> and. You know, you had me later in life. Yeah. So when you, you guys were f- almost 30 40. Five. I was 35. No, you were 38 when you had me. No. Oh, well, let's see. 48, 48 58, from... 68, 78. Yeah, you were, you were 38. Cause yeah. Anyway, so my point is you were like old enough to be my grandparents in a way. So it was, it was like a weird age yeah. kind of, you were really far removed from right. what teenagers did. My friend's parents came up in the sixties. True. So they had a different, yeah. they, they were a little more like, I used to feel that when I, when I'd go to meetings with other parents, they would have a different viewpoint than I did. So I used to think that they were bad parents. They're not good parents. Like, you know, even the drug thing and yeah. everything. I mean, everybody, there was, it was a time then when it was really rampant, I guess, and, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, people were overdosing, so mainly that was our reason for being in this group, but it seems as though some people, like, they probably smoked uh, pot themselves, Yeah. and so I might have been horrified by that, because I never smoked it, so, because in our day, the like you said, we smoked cigarettes, that was it, that was our big But isn't it funny thing. that the propaganda against you know, like Reefer Madness, you know that movie? Mm. The propaganda against pot in your day yeah. was so insane when it was the smoking that will kill you. I know. Not the pot. And we knew. And my father, I know, had to quit smoking because, you know, his doctor said, you have really, really bad ulcers and it's really bad for you. And then the thing came out about the scare about cancer. Yeah. And Dad and I were both smoking, but we didn't think that applied to us. It was like, oh, that's for old people. Yeah, you totally. Know? So we didn't we, when we were teenagers. No, I yeah. think you can smoke till you're thirty and be fine. Yeah, well, that's about when I quit. That's that when I quit. Thirty. I was quit. I quit it. I wouldn't smoke again now if you paid me. I would do it in five seconds. Yeah, if I knew, no. no. I can't breathe, so I'm not going to. Yeah, so but I just I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. It's very, it's good for my brain. I did for a while. I, it took me three tries ADD. before I quit. But it's, it's good for ADD. It focuses. Yeah. I don't think kids listening should smoke. I'm just saying you missed the boat. Now when I look at people smoking, it seems so weird that they like, and they get this thing in their mouth and they're like, that's weird. Why did I ever do that? Because everyone was doing it on TV. Oh, and, and I, I was really addicted. I smoked a lot. I, I know. A lot. And that's the thing is I, you know, I did grow up in a house where well dad smoked. I didn't smoke before I had you no I know but dad was smoking me. his Marlboros Marlboros yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting in his lap while he just blew smoke in my face and reading, I thought that was and he was reading library books to <laughs> I him. thought that was the most normal thing in the world and I wouldn't change it for the world oh I remember driving yeah. in the car when Gail and Linda were little with yeah. the windows up and both of us smoking <laughs> our brains out and then yeah uh, I remember that those were the days yeah yeah well, Very bad, so. you know, everyone's fine. 
So anyway, uh, wait, I had a point. So, oh, damn it. It was about, oh, oh, so I like that story you always tell about when you saw the kids at the Marilyn Manson concert. Like, you going to concerts is something that I would get that, now you know what I would feel when I would go to concerts, that, that high you get when it's like that group energy. Yeah. That like, oh my God, and whatever yeah. they're saying feels so powerful. Like like when Ringo Starr says, peace yeah, yeah, and yeah. love. Or yeah, yeah. After you saw Boy George, you said, he said, we're all love. And you said to yeah. me, I'm like high off this. Right. And so... Not everybody, but... No, but I don't think you'd experience that as a teenager. And so I've no. had that experience when I would see the cure in Morrissey. That's how right. they made me feel. Right. And I remember you told me you had this epiphany walking around looking at the weird kids in all black at the Mar Marilyn Manson concert were like, oh, they're not weird at all. They're like my daughter. Right. They're the artists of right. this right. society. So right. I wanted you to speak on that. Yeah. Well, I know I do like going to concerts. Sometimes it's just out of curiosity to see what people look like. I mean, I love seeing Johnny Depp because he's adorable, even though I know he's not in favor with people right now, but <laughs> well, he, he abused his I know. wife. Well, I, I mean, aside yeah. from that, I yeah. was looking at from a musical performance you. perspective, and I wanted to see what he looked like in person. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then I've seen Reba McIntyre, whatever her name is. Um, I've seen everybody. I've seen Alicia Keys, John Legend, and it's kind of exciting to see somebody that you see on TV and yeah. get a, you know, look at them and... Um, and if I like their music, like Stevie Nicks, I love Stevie Nicks, um, and just everybody, and seeing the um, Johnny Depp's band, Willie Nelson, and Ringo. we're gonna see in Ringo Starr. Oh, he's adorable. He's now, just, what do you like about Ringo Starr? Um, maybe just his connection with John, because <laughs> I like John. John was my favorite. Felt so sad. I just saw a little documentary about him, which really changed my opinion. The thing where he and Yoko stayed in bed for a week. Yeah. And at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, that dirty old people, you know. But then, <laughs> but then no, and then I they explained why they were doing it. Mm -hmm. And and they seemed so happy together. Yeah. I used to blame her like everybody did for breaking up the Beatles, but she really, she loved him of so course, very yeah. much. And um, I remember you brought me to see Strawberry Fields Forever outside his apartment. Yeah, we went to New York. Yeah. Now, why did they do the bed And They were protesting. I don't remember. It was not it. just the Vietnam War. They were in Vancouver. Yeah. It was protesting. I know it was like a war, it but it was something specific. About peace, about peace in the world. Yeah, and they had musicians come in, yeah, and they people. recorded Give Peace a Chance yeah. in the bedroom. Yeah, they did everything. Now, And they yeah. were really so, such sweet people. And oh, it, like, well, you know he wasn't, though, right? Well, his previous life, when he was a Beatle, none of them were, even Ringo, they were all... But John it, had, like, wasn't very good to his kids, and he abused his first wife, but he yeah. said he got help. Yeah. But, you know, him and, like, he went on some benders. Like, he would leave yeah. Yoko for extended periods right. of time. Right, oh, yeah, there was one where they come showed him... Come to L.A. Him. and do heroin yeah. with Harry Nielsen. They showed him, but then... Yeah, I love he, that you hate all these drug people. Be like John Lennon, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> See how we forgive See, celebrities. Like, like I, I think of them in like different layers. That's, that's another layer having nothing to do with, 
the I loved, soul of the person. I loved his looks. I loved his singing. Yeah, I know what you mean. I thought he was a brilliant songwriter, and his songs meant something. And I think basically he wanted to do good in the world. I think you're right. You can't. This is something that is being lost right now in culture, where it would be great if all of our artists could be the most perfect, wonderful people. And right. whenever a man is elevated to hero status who wasn't really a great person, right. it brings to question, why can't we elevate a woman who's actually not a bad person? And so I agree with that. At the right. same time, if somebody has already meant something to you, right. and over the years it's revealed who they are, it can be very hard to detach from what they've already meant to you and just throw them away. Yeah. And I think what we love about him is obviously all of that great stuff. And and I also thought he was funny. He had that cheeky British yeah, humor. Right. And what I was going to say about Yoko that people don't understand is you've got Paul and John and George, actually. John was kind of controlling and so was Paul. And they didn't want George to write stuff. But he right. emerged as really one of the bigger talents, I think. Yeah. And... The infighting was their egos, and they all wanted to do different things. Mm -hmm. Their women were side issues. Mm -hmm. They loved their women, and, and that was their life outside the band. Right. So when they said Yoko broke up the Beatles, it was already breaking up. And John was getting, she was in the New York City art scene. She was like this weird performance mm -hmm. artist. And I think John thought he was, here he was, this bubblegum pop. I'm from London, and then now we're with the Maharishi, and then his new identity was like, oh, this New York art scene, and he was enthralled by her. Yeah. And she loved him, and I don't think she... I think in her weird world, like, the Beatles weren't actually that cool, mm. and she wasn't trying to do anything. I mm. mean, she really loved him. She loved she's, him. Yeah. She's a real nut, and I love her, though. She's a yeah. wonderful person. And yeah. But all of that peace and love stuff, that was from her. You know, he didn't, they were learning it in India that a lot of that was George, mm -hmm. but then Yoko was kind of the same way. And I think she softened John in a way. So yeah. I don't see how anyone can like him. If he loved her, then we should love her. Right. But that was sexism that people said, oh, she yeah. ruined the Beatles. What? She doesn't have that kind of power. No. So, we, well, so that's nice. We, uh, I'm glad you saw that. So new yeah, I'm glad I saw them. I saw a lot of people that I'm glad I saw. I oh, saw. so when you saw the Marilyn Manson people, though, you told me that you really appreciated their looks in a way. Yeah. Yeah, anything like stage presence and stage whatever, persona. Um, I think as you get older, like maybe when I was young, I'd see people like that with their face painted and they'd be like kind of scared, like, ooh, ooh, you know. But now I think, well, that's what they do. That's. That's just what they do. Right. You know, yeah. RuPaul says... Oh, they're coming to Foxwoods. Who? RuPaul's Drag Race. Are you going to go see it? Oh, you know. have to. I don't know. I, I I, would hope that I wouldn't be the only straight, white, old lady there. That's all that it is, is straight people. Yeah? You don't think Who you're... cares if you're not? Well, I'm old, too. Mom, they'd be like, Queen, honey, you'll never feel better about yourself. Um, I saw the... But he says, we're all born naked, the rest is drag, meaning... Yeah. How dare you call what they're doing drag when don't you put on an outfit every day? Right. Dad dresses like a greenskeeper. Yeah. This guy dresses in a suit. You know, yeah. that's his point. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, I also like seeing the thunder from Down Under. 
I've, yeah, but that's not music. That's just a strip no, no, show. That, that's strippers. No, no, not really. They, they're entertaining. They're very entertaining. But their clothes are off. Yeah, well, I had a lap dance for one. Yeah, well, that's a, you went to see a striptease. That's not the same as well, seeing like yeah. Joan Jett or whatever. No, I saw Joan Jett. Right, but you yeah. told me now no more rock because you no, never... it uh, really. Um, that sucks. It, no, I felt I felt the pounding in my chest. Oh. That's not good for the pacemaker. Oh, that sucks. Oh, but right. she was yeah. So but, next you know. we're going to see Engelbert Humperdinck who. Looks like he probably has two pacemakers. <laughs> oh, I know, and he's very creepy. And we're seeing Diana Ross. I'm seeing Diana Ross. Dad, oh, that would be great. Dad probably won't go, but um, now what about when you saw Boy George? Though you said he said yeah, we're he, all love or something yeah, like that, and you yeah. really love. You didn't yeah. used to like that. I used to like him because he was wearing yeah, makeup, and I now know. you love his makeup. I know. Well, I mean, that, to me, that's just his stage presence. So maybe, maybe he wears it all the time. I don't know, but I guess I'm just more tolerant. I don't know how I got that way. Maybe you you probably helped me to be that way because you you grew up being a lot different than your sisters. You were more inclusive. Even though I kept you from doing a lot, you were more inclusive of me in your life. That's right. And the other two were probably doing things they knew I didn't like, so they would, like, push me away from their lives. Well, I said, if you know me more... You'll probably understand me more. Yeah. And I'll get to do more. I oh, didn't. Smart didn't girl. work. Didn't work out. But, smart girl. <laughs> but I but I I think that's the the key to being tolerant of I don't like the word tolerant because it makes it seem like someone's doing something bad and we're like, oh, I'll tolerate that. But when you actually know a gay person, you're not homophobic. Like so my right. friend Dave growing up had been gay since I was thirteen, fourteen. Yeah. And I it wouldn't dawn on me to be homophobic because right. I knew I actually knew a gay person. Right. And people that weren't friends with them were trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was a big yeah. deal. And I was in high school in the late 80s. Yeah. People were trying to beat him up almost to kill him. When I was a teenager, there were two gay men who, I guess they lived together, but the thing that people would always say, I don't think my mother specifically said it, but people, you know, you'd hear them say, when you're walking down the street and they're coming along on mm-hmm. the same side as you across the street. What? And we didn't know why. We're like, oh, okay. But <laughs> it was like two scary people are coming. But I didn't know. I really didn't even know what constituted. Now, if you're walking down the street, who do you feel safe safer with, a gay guy or some straight <laughs> guy that's going to rape you? Like, But we didn't know. We just knew those two guys, there's something strange about sad? them. So if you see them coming on the same side across the street, and walk Isn't the that other. awful? I know, I know. Because what, I would I, I, run it felt like it. it felt like they were saying, like, if they touch you, right, you're gonna something's gonna rub off on you. You're gonna catch something or whatever. And this is even before AIDS. So oh imagine my God, this was in the fifties. Yeah. Imagine uh, how when there actually was a disease that was affiliated with right. being gay, that people were still so awful. I mean, it was so awful. Speaking but, of that, I love the. Um, the Queen movie. Oh my oh, god! I was it, like, speaking it, of AIDS, what? It made me cry. I was on the plane and I was had my earphones on and I was singing. Oh boy! We will rock you and all these songs. Oh, you're just loud. going like this? No, I on was singing. No, I was singing. <laughs> <coughs> Making me cough. 
I was singing, and the lady next to me was like looking at me, like, "Were you really going like we are the champions?" Yes, I was. <laughs> I was probably singing out loud, but I was mouthing the words. Yes. Well, I know you've always loved Queen. We used to play Queen oh in the gosh. car. Oh my gosh, I love Queen. Um, but yeah, but, what did you like about that movie? I liked knowing about him. I didn't know what he was really like, but um, he was such a complicated man and such a talented guy. Um, and just knowing where he came from, I didn't have any idea. I know, it's kind of cute when you see his family and they're so straight-laced and they're like, yeah. uh, were they Farsi, I think? You know, go to college yeah. and don't shame our, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of racism still in No, they didn't know he was gay in London. first, right? No, they... no, I don't think so. No. And and I think, uh, but it was, I don't know how much of that is true, the relationship with his family, but it was fun to see him have a normal dinner and then go be, Yeah. but but all the timeline, he didn't know he had AIDS at Live Aid. He didn't know. No. But, you know, his band, some of the songs, his band actually played. I forget how that works. No, the, the, anytime you saw him in the recording studio in the movie... Those were really the, the old really tapes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the band didn't like play. No. But they produced all the music. They oversaw it. Right. But they also loved it. When they had the um, some music awards, they were in the audience. Yeah. And I don't know why. I expected them to look like they used to look. And then they introduced yeah. these guys. And this guy came up with like long white hair. Yeah, like, Brian May. Yeah, who the heck is that? And then they realized who it was. And they they were crying. They, I know. They were they were just overcome by the performance that, um, that what's his name, Malik? Rami Malik. Rami yeah. Malik. I mean, but he didn't really sing. No, but he was... I mean, he was running around and stuff. Looked he just was like fantastic. him. He, yeah, he did a great job. But you know the movie, they say, was not that good because they kind of glossed over, like, yeah. you know, there was more going on than drinking champagne and, and the, the director was, like, sexually harassing everyone. And right, so it was right. kind of not a well-done movie, but... It didn't matter. I went to see it for the music. Yeah. And, oh, do you do you know um, the guy that played the record company guy? Yeah. Was Mike Myers, the comedian from Saturday Night Live. I know that. And do you know that he's the one that put them back on the map, in yeah. a way, and brought them to a younger generation? Because oh. remember the movie Wayne's World? Yeah. In that movie, him and Garth, Garth and Wayne are driving. Right. And they're listening to, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, you know. Um, yes. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. They're listening to that in the car, and they do that whole, the, they play the entire song, and it's just those two dorky guys mm. singing along to it. Yeah. And the movie company said, we don't understand this scene. And they're like, well, these guys love Queen, and they're going to listen to the song. And the movie company was like, mm, let's use a different song. And they're like, it has to be Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, it's the coolest song. And they had a giant fight where they almost stopped doing the movie because mm. for some reason... I forget, whatever the movie company was, wouldn't let them do it. Wow. And they had to get all the, and it was their first movie, and like they could have easily just said fine. Mm -hmm. And they kept, Mike Myers kept fighting, like you don't understand, it will be huge. Yeah. And the movie was huge, and that song by Queen, which, now I knew, that song came, that movie came out when I was 18. Yeah. I already knew Queen from you, from you playing it. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of kids my age didn't know Queen because yeah. they didn't have older sisters and yeah. whatever. And that song, even though it was the first time a lot of teenagers from the 90s heard it, went number one. Yeah. It became number one again. Yeah. And everyone was buying Queen records. Mm. And they were right. Yeah. So I think that's why he wanted to play, to be ironic, to 
be that guy in the movie uh-huh. who said no one will ever listen to a nine minute song. This is stupid. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And yeah. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And I just love how he. I just love people like Freddie Mercury. They just decide. Yeah. I'm going to be this. Yeah. And this is how I dress, and this is how I talk. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I, I really, love, I really his, would like to do that. Yeah, I loved his persona. I loved his clothing. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about him. And I think his father almost, you know, had a fit when he saw him. <laughs> he, they really never said what his father was thinking, but you could just read into his expression. I that, think once someone becomes famous, it's a lot easier to go, okay, okay. Imagine yeah. if your son's... Well, especially he, maybe he was giving them money, too, because I don't, they weren't wealthy, I don't think. It seemed like you were doing... Well, I don't remember yeah. what his parents were doing. Well, maybe, but... too. They liked that he was famous. Well, I think it's easier when someone's doing something so bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's not even that bizarre, but yeah. like for me in comedy, if I hadn't been doing well, it, I think it would seem a lot more annoying than it is. Yes. Like, what is she doing this for? She's throwing right. her life away. I mean, That's now true. it's getting there. No, it's not. <laughs> No, it's not. But but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. once you say, oh yeah. well, okay, this has actually been proven that right. other people like it. Yeah, I'm not going to worry, so I can actually enjoy it. Right, because if he was a failure, his father would have felt that, you know, he was a failure to the family and put a put a you know damper on the family somehow. Right. But all right, well, this has been lovely. It's it's. I, I uh, it's been very boring for these people. No, to they are to. big fans. They are big fans <laughs> of yours, and I think that um, people like to hear. Oh, there was the. There's going to be another segment I'm doing. I'm going to record it later. Where this girl writes in. She's sort of. Um, I don't know how old she is. She might be in her late twenties, early thirties, but she has to move in with her parents for a little while to save some money. She's like, I don't know what to do. They're going to drive me crazy. So I'm going to give her advice. Mm-hmm. But from the parent side. Is there any advice for when, like, an adult child comes home to live for a while? Like, <laughs> like I was thinking, well, you know, maybe be, it drives them crazy, too. I was say, the parents should move to a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it would be very hard because I can think of our own family. Me. And that because I'm 81, actually, I keep saying 80, um, that people would be like, oh, Mom, let me help you with this. Oh, you can't do that. Shouldn't you be going to bed now? And, you shouldn't drink that, and maybe you shouldn't have wine, and maybe you shouldn't go to the casino and stay up so late. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, the fact that your children have to police you, or they try to police you, um, oh. that would be hard. Who's po- am I policing you? No, I'm oh. just thinking if if, if the I, two. Yeah. Well, I in. did try to come help take care of you after your oh, no, that was wrist different. surgery. That was different. No, but I would say like, oh, you have too many plates, and they're making the cabinet sag we do our own thing here and i'm like but what your thing you're doing the plates are going to crash in the middle of the night you're not going to know what it is you're going to fall down the stairs and die and then everything i say you go you want us in a wheelchair sitting home i go no i that's the opposite i want you around you always get mad when you get mad you go what do you want us to die in a rocking chair i go no i want you to live i'm I'm just saying take you know don't drive in a snowstorm please thank you very much but it's uh, but, you know, on so. the other hand, too, I can see us telling a child a feeling as though we would have to include that child in everything that we did and really not wanting to because we're used to having a life of our own. Right. But then on the other hand, you'd feel guilty about going out 
and not including that child. Oh, I don't think this adult girl cares that her parents would be going out without her. She'd probably be psyched. Well, true, but from our perspective, we oh. would have a guilt trip over it that, well, should be, you know, shouldn't be doing this. And I mean, even Dad now will be like, we should be at the girls' house for their birthday. And I'm like, what? What do you want to have? Hat, hats and candles and you know, <laughs> blowers that go boop like that. You know, yeah. I mean, they're grown women. You're gonna honor them. You gotta give them a present. You're gonna call them. Yeah. You're send them a card. But he wants like a birthday they're party. They're in their 50s. <laughs> gonna have little hats and you know. Well, I would like that on my birthday if I was living here. <laughs> well, when anyway. it's your birthday last week, happy birthday. Yeah, well, see, I, I'm not like that. I At Foxwoods, the group That's will have birthday parties for right. each other. And I ask them not to do it for me. I don't like all that. You don't? I don't like all that fuss. Not because of my age. I'll tell anybody how old I am, but I just don't. I mean, to me, it seems childish. If you want to send me a card, send me a card. Right. But I don't want all those things like little dishes of candy, and we bought you a cake, and you can wear a hat, and you know. Oh, I made you do that last year. Well, different family. Family's different. I don't mind that. Right. But I don't want anyone to feel like, ooh, I was going to go to, you know, Italy that week, but it's my mother's birthday, so I can't go. I have to stay home and bake her a cake. No, I don't Oh, want damn, that. I was supposed to go to Italy this weekend. <laughs> I came here for you. Yeah, so I don't want anyone to feel that obligated to it. No, I, I think guess. we I like mean, I think everybody's viewpoint is different. That just happens to be mine. Now, do you think you're different than Nana was at 81? Your oh, mom? Yeah. You're more vibrant? Well, yeah, I try to be. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more... Um, she I, I never looked back and got into, no, like... I wouldn't say I was outspoken. She was pretty outspoken. But she wasn't as interested in the world so much. I mean, I'm very curious. I like to know everything about everything. Good. Yeah, bad. she didn't seem to want to, like, oh, who's the latest music or no, what's the latest thing. No. And I'm more like that. I, like, I I'm not I like, like you. I, I like reading. Yeah, I like reading. I like knowing about music. I like to know about everything that everyone's doing. Yeah, but you listen to music I would never listen to. Well, that's because it's from my 50s. No, I'm saying now. Like, I wouldn't go to a J-Lo concert. Oh, well, I wanted to see what she looked like. Yeah. Remember you told me she wore a bodysuit, but that I was not to put that on the internet? Yeah. Everybody told me that. It, she knows. Everybody knows. Yeah, everybody that. knows. Yeah. Like, you didn't have a... Do not yeah. tweet that. She was she was really good. Really, really good. Um, yeah. So, I feel... I don't, like, want to brag about it, but I feel like I have a very... I have very diversified interests. I, like... I like a little bit of everything. I want to, I'm curious. I want to know everything about everything. What's the next thing you want to learn about? Well, I had thought I might like to take um, ukulele lessons. That's adorable. I used to play until my father had a ukulele. I would have got you one for your damn birthday. But then I'd have to take lessons. I don't know if I want to do that. I, I had mean? one when I was young. It was my father's. And the strings, I kept gluing the strings on, and they'd, I'd play a song, and then they'd go, boing. Oh, my God, and, you could just go down to the record store. Yeah, I like to play. I like to play. I mean, I really think it's still there. I don't there. know it's if I could the... now with my carpal tunnel fingers. But, but no, ukulele is very... It might be good you don't, my fingers. It's not like playing a, a heavy guitar. It only, it only, it's, it's, it's very like you keep I your hands open. Has, I think it only has four strings. I think it's three, and you keep your hands open. Oh, four. My dog has fleas. Four. Oh. 
So, and you pluck. You do a lot of plucking. There's an M key? My dog has fleas? No, that's just what they say. My dog has fleas. No, those haven't. Those don't relate to the Uh, actual. Well, I wish I'd gotten you a ukulele. I got one for Christmas. Just a cheap, something cheap. Because what if I decide not to play? Well, I don't think there's an expensive ukulele. Though they do have plug-ins. I was showing Linda when Linda visited last week. um, And she wanted to know what was in the old closet that goes underneath the stairs. Um, And I found my old art work that I used to do. Oh, that's right. I used to do drawing, pencil drawings. There was one of Dad. She thought it really looked like him. And there was a Toulouse-Lautrec. So I know it it probably sounds like I come off as snobby, but I really like, I like the arts. I like... I don't think you come off as snobby. That's your own, like... I like artists. I like music, you know, musical... Um, that, that's composers. Your... I like composers. Yeah, you taught me to take piano. And I don't know all of them I would like I to. I mean, you played piano for a long time. Yeah, I did. You're a great intellect. But now listen to me. Uh-huh. You can't start every sentence with, I sound snobby, I sound this. That's a 1950s yeah. crap they taught well, women to say. What if you sounded like you were bragging? Brag, who cares? Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I'm just saying that I have many interests and they make me happy. That's all. I like oh. to do crossword puzzles sometimes. I like to listen right, now to bragging. Okay. podcasts. <laughs> if only I could teach you the proper way to listen to one. But I don't know what that is. Well, you could like have an iPhone with iTunes. You could take a oh, walk and oh, listen oh, to oh, it. You don't have to yeah. sit at the computer like it's a radio well, from 1801. Well, I might thumb through a magazine while I'm doing it. And uh, I'll look at, you know, look at Talbot's catalog, something like that. All right. Well, if there's anything you'd like to tell our young podcast listeners, I have a lot in their 20s who are like, oh, I should be further along in life. And oh. I, this makes me laugh because I go, they go, I feel so old. Is life going to oh, get better? Sheesh. And I go, oh, God, you guys, of course it yeah, is. It takes time. It, you can't rush it. You have to kind of let things unfold. I never felt like in my life, and maybe I should, but I never felt like I was like really planning everything. Right. Things just happened. And I did take a lot of lessons when I was younger because those are the things I wanted to know more about. But um, I don't know. I've had a really good life and wonderful family and husband, and um, it'll all happen. Yeah. I don't think you can make it happen. I think people just need to enjoy themselves a little more. Like Yeah, and, and let, things, um, let things unfold naturally. I think, I think that's harder for younger people with all the technology yeah, I know. expectations put on them by older people. You know, yeah. I didn't have a lot of expectations put on me. Yeah. That's something that was yeah. very helpful for me. Yeah, I think people need to let their kids blossom and do what's in their heart and not be like, well, you know, John's going to be a doctor and Mary's going to be a nurse or whatever. Right. All right, well, we'll let you go. My throat's getting itchy from the pollen. Okay. All right. Okay, enjoyed talking. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Oh. Oh, I hope you guys loved that. Um, I really, really do. My mom thinks it's going to be boring. This, I guess this just runs in the family. We, we get on a podcast and we go, this is going to be boring. That's, that's how we do. That's the I seem fun way or the having funlessness way. So, Let's bring everybody up to speed on things. Um, My Milwaukee date in August has been postponed. It will be sometime 
sometime else. Um, everything else is on sale right now. Salt Lake City, Mother's Day weekend. Why don't you bring a group? Are you child-free gals? Bring a group. Bring a group, and that'll be your fun non-Moms Day weekend. And people, there's a lot of people bringing their Generation X moms to my shows, which is making me so happy. So again, this is a good mother-daughter, mother-son thing as well. I promise you it's not going to get racy. You can totally bring your mom to my shows. Salt Lake City, Wise Guys Comedy Club, Utah, May 10th and 11th. It is my Salt Lake City debut, people. Then I'm going to be in Omaha, St. Louis, and Kansas City the 14th through the 16th of May. So go find me Come see me. It's been four years since I've hit those cities. I could really appreciate. I could really appreciate the advanced ticket sales. JenKirkman.com. You don't even have to click tour. Right there on the homepage are all my tour dates. And then this summer, I'll be hitting Nashville and uh, Birmingham, Alabama. My Birmingham, Alabama debut. Athens, Georgia. Tickets on sale now. And again, Brooklyn and Boston in September. All of these shows. I will be doing material you have not seen on Netflix, material you have not seen live before, and after every show, I am personally selling and signing books. So come take advantage of seeing me when you can, while you can. And uh, as a reminder to everybody, you can send an email. We're going to change the email address. Um, So hold off on your emails for right now. Uh, Well, actually, you know what? Let's just give you the new email address. I just can't find it. So that's why I was, uh, I was stalling for time here. But I think, did I write it down? Oh, geez, I hope I did because, you know, if I don't, I'm kind of screwed. Um, oh, here it is. Havingfunless at gmail.com. H-A-V-I-N-G, funless at gmail.com. H-A-V-I-N-G-F-U-N-L-E-S-S at gmail.com. I will be dismantling the old... I seem fun at gmail.com address. So that is the new email for the podcast. There will, of course, be a new Twitter account. I think I might have to dismantle the whole Facebook page. I have to figure all of this out when I have time, which is never. So the, the, la- the soft launch will be, I think, May 8th. But the social media might, I'm going to try to change it all in the same week. But, you know, I need a minute. So anyway, um, Also, oh, please come see me in LA. I had to postpone my storytelling show on April 30th because I'm in New York City. So May 28th is my next one, again, with our old friend Tammy and my dear friend Julia Sharp, who just wrote a book about going bald. He's going to read a selection from his book. My friend Tammy's going to tell a story, and I'm going to read an essay from what I hope will be another book. It's going to be a really fun, cool show, and I really want to keep the ticket sales good on these so that the improv lab lets me keep doing it. It's going to be Tuesday, May 28th, 7.30. Come after work, have a drink, unwind. It's really fun. It's more sophisticated than your average stand-up show. We're not just a bunch of animals throwing jokes at you. We're telling stories. We're getting highbrow up in here. So if that's what you like, this is the show for you. Now, uh, last week, I did talk more honestly about my life. I got so many beautiful emails from people that relate, that are in the same place. Unfortunately, I got some emails from male listeners asking me out. Now, I know that you would think, why is that offensive to her? Because I'm not on this podcast to get a boyfriend. I literally, as it is, can barely function in the world with men. I I am constantly mansplained to. On Twitter, I am constantly hit on. I just have, I have unfortunately have 
such a low opinion <laughs> sometimes of this gender. And, and I, I'm heartbroken that I was honest in this episode about my life and that you guys wrote me to ask me out. I, I don't want to be in a long distance relationship with you people. Like, don't do that. If you think that somehow you're my soulmate and you happen to live in LA, well, we'd probably have mutual friends or something. Y- you can figure it out. But, but if you're just a listener of the podcast somewhere in some other state, don't, don't write me and ask me out. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm so sorry. It's, it's an uneven power dynamic. It's very strange. You're, you're, you have a crush on a fantasy. It's not, this, this is not going, this cannot happen. This, and it hurts my feelings when you guys use the email to kind of violate the sacred contract that way. So, um, if you are one of these people that have done that, do not send an apology. Just don't do it again. How does that sound? Okay, great. I'm sorry I even have to say that. It was really disheartening. It made me never want to open up about my life again because that's one of the reasons why I don't is um, when I used to do material about being divorced and I thought I could be like, you know, I didn't want to be a female Louis C.K. in all the ways, but I did appreciate um how people embraced his honesty about like whether he was talking about sex or talking about this or divorce. I didn't realize women weren't afforded that same courtesy. So after shows, guys would try to pick up on me thinking I'm looking for one night stands. They would hand me their phone numbers like I was a prostitute or something and say, uh, if you get lonely later tonight. And so I stopped talking about all that stuff in my act, but it's, it's part of life. And I wanted to, to use this podcast as a test way to, to talk about it again and I have to be honest, it, it discouraged me from wanting to. So um, I'm going to have to regroup and see how I feel because I was, I was really disappointed to get um, those emails. So anyway, uh, besides that, if you want to go to iTunes and give this podcast a review, again, uh, five stars, please, and your review can say, this is a review. How does that sound? Or you can write something really earnest and like, oh my God, it's changed my life. Now I'm a ballerina. Maybe you could just write that. Oh, my God, this has changed my life. Now I'm a ballerina. Um, if you wanted, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to give you all the uh, social media stuff because it's going to change so soon anyway. So I'll save it for next week. But again, I would love for you to just get on my website and just buy all the tickets. I mean, also come to the show. Don't just like buy all the tickets for Alabama and then no one's there. That would be weird. Be a great way to fuck with me, though. But uh, I would end up getting paid either way. So, I mean, if that's how you want to fuck with me, Go for it. I love it. Okay. Until next week, have fun.